0: i probably say that every week. Um, but as a kid, this is one of those ones, I love Old Testament stuff because you can see it in your mind, you know, when you're reading it. it reads like a story because it's, it's narrative, you know, and, and especially these stories um, growing up, you know, you hear them and you just can't help but visualize stuff. And this is one of those ones that um, this and Daniel both, it just really just kind of had an impact on me. I don't know if it was because of the meaning or just because of I can't imagine being thrown into a pit with a lion or uh, into a fire, um, on purpose, and so um, there's just something about these stories, though, that, that we connect with, and so um, just let me sort of make sure that, kind of catch everybody up on what exactly is going on with, with these. There are four people um, at the beginning of this book who are kind of the main characters, so to speak. Daniel, of course, ends up being the main guy. Um, but here's what, what happened um, in the, the nation of Judah. Um, the Babylonians came in. Nebuchadnezzar was their king. They came in and took over everything, destroyed everything, and, and brought all the, uh, all the Israelites um, back to Babylon with them. This is known as the exile, and that's what a lot of the Old Testament kind of deals with. Um, so they were ripped out of their homeland. They were uh, marched you know, miles and miles and miles away. Uh, separated from their family a lot of times, you know, just not a not a very happy situation. And so, um, but what Nebuchadnezzar did, he 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 said, he said, go get me some of the like the powerful people. Go get me some of their kids." And he picked ones who were like who were good looking, they were smart, they had a lot of potential. And basically, he just wanted to train them in the ways of Babylon and get them ready to serve uh, in his courts and stuff. So, there were, there were four of them, and um, Daniel was one of them. And then there's uh, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, which actually, that was their new names that they were given, because one thing Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do, he wanted to strip away everything that they knew, uh, all of their identity as a Hebrew. And so he changed their name. He, he, ch- he wanted to put them on the royal uh, uh, meal plan um, to live in the royal household. They had to learn different languages, all this kind of stuff. Anything that, that was a part of their identity as a Hebrew, he wanted to strip away. And so he gave them all different names. Now D- Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar, which is awesome, but uh, he for some reason never goes by his new name in, in the book. Uh, maybe because you know he probably wrote it and was like <laughs> negative. Um, but for some reason Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego they they like that those are their new names um, that, that they were given. And, um, and so what, what happens is, you know, there, there comes a point where um, they're having to do some things that they don't want to do that go against their heritage. And so uh, the, the first one that we see in the book of Daniel has to do it with their diet. And um, they were trying to make them eat, like I said, on the royal meal plan or whatever. And um, the Israelites, they have like some pretty strict dietary laws and stuff that they would follow. And so um, they basically asked their their guard, like the guy who was feeding them, if they could not do that. And he was like, "No, because I'll get in trouble." And they were like, "All right, tell you what. For ten days, let us just eat, you know, fruits and vegetables. Basically, let us let us eat the things that are from our heritage, and not eat the because to do to eat what you're wanting us to eat would we would be seen as defiling ourselves. Give us ten days. At the end of ten days, see if we are weaker." if we're stupider, if we're, you know, er than, like, the ones who are eating it. And if there's a big difference and you're going to get in trouble, then, you know, that's fine. But if we are the same as everybody else, then let's keep doing it. So, of course, 10 days, of course, they're not only, like, as smart, but they're actually, like, they're stronger, they're smarter, they're more alert, they're better off. And so, um, so they kind of work their way up through, like, the government of, you know, of Babylon at that time. And so um, right before this story starts, Daniel has been uh, promoted and he's like, like one of like the big dogs, like over, over everything, okay? And um, so he's over everything and, and um, then he, by his own choosing, picks his three buddies to kind of like serve other positions so he kind of hooks them up with, with jobs, which, amen, thank you for people who hook their friends up with jobs, right? Yes. Um, and so, uh, so he, he gets them taken care of. So these guys are, they're somebodies, you know, um, and they've worked their way up and God's favor has been on them and all this kind of stuff. And so here they are, they're, they're somebodies and like people know who they are and they know what, all the stuff that, that they're about and they know where they've come from and everything. And so in chapter three, um, Nebuchadnezzar, um, for some reason, just can't seem to learn and he loves himself and enough to do this. Verse one says King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. All right, 90 feet high, 9 feet thick, all right? This giant um, golden image that was, was, was set up. Verse 2, he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other pro, uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. All right. Now these were people who, like, they wasn't like you know, it's not like they lived like in this compound and they like like blew a shofar and like, everybody like, came out. These are people who traveled from a long way off. So he gathered people from all over the, all over the place, and all these officials came, and it was you know like you know, just this gathering of all these important people, all right? And, and so they all come together, and they're all standing out there, and they're like, great, we came here for a 90-foot tall, nine-foot thick, golden, like, idol. And awesome. Um, verse 4, the, the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nation, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flutes, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay? Now, uh, for uh, Hebrews, idol worship was completely forbidden. All throughout, like, all, everything that's happened before this, God's all about, like, I'm the only God that you serve. Do not um, get involved. That's why he wanted to avoid, like, the nations that were around him. Because all these nations worshipped all these idols, and they would they would create idols for all kinds of stuff, and they worshipped you know every all this stuff in nature, and just all these things, and they were just they're just confused. And and one of God's biggest things is that He is jealous, in a good way, and in a holy way, and He wants He wants their their complete devotion. And so bowing before an idol would go against everything that these guys stood for, everything they were raised to believe. And everything that that all their efforts to strip away their heritage couldn't couldn't touch that, you know. So here are these three important guys in a gathering of, of all these important people, some of them whom they're over, and that's the that's the charge that's gone out is to do something against uh, what you know God wants you to do, okay? Um, and the punishment is we'll throw you into a big oven, which I mean they were you know that's weird. But um, I guess the lines in is kind of weird too. But um, so we're gonna throw you into this, this big oven. And so most people probably were like, all right, cool, whatever, you know, oven, bowing down before something that's dead and fake and just, you know whatever. All right, easy, easy choice, right? Um, so so here they are. And of course, um, if you if you keep reading the story, uh, everybody understands what's going on. And so then they blast all the instruments and like everybody bows down. And then. Um, just like in Daniel's story, somebody comes and tattles on him. Okay? Um, look at verse 13. So they go, in the, and these guys come and tattle on him and everything. And and so uh, and one, one of the questions is, like, where's Daniel? You know? Um, it's safe to assume that Daniel was not there. Okay? Um, and there's a whole bunch of speculation as to why, but the fact that he's not a part of the story, like... When I first read it, I was like, "Wait a second. So you think Daniel bowed down? And then, no, probably not. Um, everything I've read is probably they seem to think that that because of the favor that Daniel had with Nebuchadnezzar, maybe he got a pardon from attending this thing, or maybe Daniel didn't bow down either. But everybody was so afraid of him because you know he was like the king's boy uh, that they like didn't rat on him or something like that or whatever. So they tattle on him. And then verse 13." Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadma- Shadmak, wrong. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, they like lists, they? Lists everything. Uh, and pipes, no, no criticism, just saying. Um, they like this. Some people do. Um, when you hear the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then, listen to this, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? All right? Kind of pushing their buttons a little bit, you know? Um, and so he, he kind of gives them like a second chance. So you could tell that, that he he kind of likes them, and he's like, and he, maybe he didn't see it. Maybe he's, you know, all these people who were jealous of these guys are the ones who ratted him out. So maybe he was like, you know, all right, let's 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 try this one more time, guys. Hint, hint. Like, let's try this so I don't have to kill you, you know, whatever. Um, and so what, what I want us to do, like, first of all, is um, we're going to just look at their response to him because it's it's awesome. Um but their choice to not bow down to this idol is kind of what we looked at last, last week as far as, um, you know, with, with Daniel, it was is you can't pray to anybody uh, except the king for 30 days, and he refused to do that, and that's why he got thrown in the lines then. And we talked about how, um, how his heart was, was ordered in the right way, where um, his relationship with God and prayer to God and the commandments of God um, were greater than this rule that was passed down. Um, that was more important. And so the order of his heart, I mean, like, like serving the Lord, pleasing the Lord, that relationship with God was, was the most important thing. And, um, John Ortberg talks about how, uh, how false it is that, um, you know, people are talking about how, how our lives need to have balance, you know, and a balance of all this kind of stuff. And his big deal is like, no, 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 no. like balance is not what we need. Order is what we need. Um, he said, you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus did not have a balanced life at all. His life was very unbalanced, but his life was ordered with, with the right things, with obeying the Father and with loving people and with accomplishing what God brought him here to do. Same thing with Paul. There's all kinds of examples. And so we kind of talked about how, like how Daniel's heart just had, it, he had that right order. And the thing is, that it says that, that he prayed every day. Three times a day. See, that's where, that's where that, that order comes from. We see in this story the, the same thing. These three guys who probably like, probably had the same prayer uh, discipline as Daniel, because uh, Jewish exiles, what they would do is they would, they would face Jerusalem whenever they would pray during their, their times of prayer. Um, that's why Daniel went to this window, because it faced that way. Um, Probably these guys had that same discipline in their own lives because they grew up together and they came through all this stuff together. Um, Their hearts were ordered properly because as soon as they said you're going to bow to this idol and everybody bows down. I mean, I doubt they were like there, all like interlocking arms, you know, like united front kind of thing. Um, Chances are there's this big, you know, group there. Like maybe they weren't standing by each other. Maybe they didn't have like hand signals worked out. You're going to bow? I'm going to bow? No. Yeah, no? You know, like whatever. I will if you will, like I won't if you won't. None of that. Um they they made this this decision and their choices reflect that their hearts had the right order to them. And that's kind of what we talked about last week, that you can you you can look at the choices that we make and you can see what your heart looks like based on the things that you're choosing. And I kinda wanna just before we get into this this section, I just kinda want to ask it. Rhetorically, of course. Have you learned anything about your life in the past week since we talked about it last Sunday? Have you learned anything about the order of your heart? Was there ever a time, you know, where um, you realized, like, wow, I just chose my job over my kids? You know? I just chose this, uh, you know, I just chose a friend over my spouse. Um, here's someone in need, and yet I was wanting to get home because I I just got stuff to do. or I've had a long day. Um, You know, there's so many things we can look at the choices that we make, and it really says a lot about our heart. Now, here's the thing. Um, I'm just going to touch on this and and, and move on. The prayer life that Daniel had and the order of his heart, it's it's no coincidence that... that those two things are like they're they're connected, and so for you and I, when 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 we get those those points in life, and we start to realize, like, man, I'm I'm choosing myself over like God, over people, over like everything. I'm I'm acting so selfishly. Um, fixing that is not we don't just resolve, you know, like that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna not do that anymore. Um, what we need to do is is we need to connect with the Lord in prayer. Connecting with God in prayer, like that's that's where He tends to our heart, and He's the one that that reorders things. And so, if if you you know you look at your life, and if the wrong things are high on that list, and the important things are low on that list, you can try all you want, but I mean, to go with Jesus' analogy, I mean you you are a, a branch that's been cut off of the tree and is laying on the other side of the yard, and you're trying to produce apples, <laughs> and you can't. Apart from Christ, apart from that vine, you're not going to produce any fruit. And I think that's one reason why so many of us are frustrated with our walks with God is because we're trying so hard to produce all this fruit and the entire time we're on the other side of the yard from the vine. So what God wants from us is that connection. And through that connection, he begins to, to tend to our hearts. And what happens is, The way that he thinks becomes the way that we think. The way that he feels becomes the way that that we feel. And his order is our order. And so if you're frustrated with your walk and you're just like, I can't seem to get out of this rut, I can't, whatever, I mean, just ask the most simple thing ever. Have Have you been praying? Have you been connecting with the Lord consistently? Chances are the frustrating times in your life can be directly connected to the lack of prayer and the lack of connection to God. I'm not trying to be all legalistic and say you gotta pray every day and have a you know seven-minute quiet time at least, memorize a verse and whatever. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we've got to connect with God and we have to stay that way. And so if you're frustrated, like that's that's the key. Biblically, that's the key. All right? So here's Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and and some more examples, especially from those four guys. Um, we see all of them just have that, that order. So here's what they say to the, to the king in response to him giving them their second chance. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. <laughs> Guts, they're very gutsy. Uh, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Um, if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Because remember, he asked them, I'm going to throw you in there, and then who's going to save you from my hand? And so they basically come back and say, "Um, the God we serve, he's going to be the one that saves us from your hand. Bruh. I added that. Then verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love that response. And this is not going to be about, you know, standing up against, you know, uh, sin and stuff, all that kind of stuff or whatever, and standing up against political causes and all that kind of No, no, no. Um, here's here's, here's what I think God has for us tonight. Um, two, two things. The first thing that they tell him, other than we don't really need to answer you, but we're going to answer you, they say this, our God is able to do this. Look at their words exactly. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. All right, He is is able. When we start looking at, at, at hearts and the order of our hearts. Um, we looked at how the choices we make reflect that. Um, this is kind of another another take on on a well ordered heart. Well ordered heart has incredible perspective on things. Um, and and the two things about their perspective, one, they really believe that God can do anything. I he said, is, he is able to go, like, to rescue us from that. He will save us from that fire, and he will save us from your hand. He is able to do that. And at first, I, I think we can probably all say, like, yes, I believe that God can do anything. He is able to do anything, Right? But a lot of times, the way that the way that I think, the way that I pray, the way that I worry, the way that I come up with my own plan, um, everything else is evidence to what I saying that I don't really believe that He's able to do it. You know, um, the seminary in New Orleans, a professor told us in a, in a lecture one time. He said, "He said Jesus Christ has the power." To change any human life, and uh, and I've told the story before, but of course, like everybody, everybody room, "Amen," mm, you know. Everybody makes noises in seminary, like grunts and affirms him, like he needs it. He's the seminary president, and he's awesome. Like, like, like my "Amen" is gonna be like, "Yes, I got an Amen from him." Uh, so he said it, where everybody's like, "Yes." And he just kept and, and he said it again and he got, you know, a little different reaction. He just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And by the time he had said it like eight or nine times, the whole room was quiet. And he said, You know what? He said, if you guys, if if and and girls, if y'all don't believe that with all of your heart, said you need to you need to go to the registrar's office and drop out of here and you need to go and you need to do something else. Said, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life, any situation, any set of circumstances, no matter how bad, um, how destructive, how like impossible it seems, if you don't believe that He can do that, then, then, I mean, it, you just need to do, go do something else. And so he's talking to a bunch of preachers, and my immediate thought was like, the entire like, we need to hear that, you know. So of course, I bring it back and I steal it. <laughs> And when you go back there and you write a prayer request on our cards, it says that at the top of it. And that's to remind us of whatever request we write on that card. It says, Jesus Christ has the power to dot, dot, dot. And you write a request underneath it. Because I believe God is trying to, to teach us and to make us into the kind of people who really 100... There's a fly up here. Um Rodney? Need my chopsticks? Anybody? Karate kid? No? (laughs) All right, I'm about to edit that one out during the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Pause for editing. And we're good, okay. Um, Sorry. On those prayer request cards. Believing that no matter what we write down, how impossible it may seem, that God is able to fix that. Jesus said that um, when he was being arrested, one of his disciples like took out a sword and cut the dude's ear off. Jesus was like, hold up, he said if I if I wanted if I wanted to, all right, I could call my father and he's able to send over twelve legions of angels. Okay, Jesus had that like, look, trust me, all right. I don't need your help, dude, with sword. Um, it's covered. The Father is able to handle this. Paul said that same thing. To him who's able to do, um, was it more than we can hope or imagine? See, their perspective was like, he's he's able to do that. And I think... There are so many times when, uh, when like we have such tunnel vision, and, and we try to do this in community groups sometimes, and and I don't know that um, that every, we could do this probably every week, and I don't know if it would ever like fully sink in, um, but a lot of times we, we, we talk about like share with like when has God ever done this? Whenever has God ever done this? And what like tell us about a time when this happened or whatever, and we share all these experiences and stuff. Here's the thing. Um, i could I could take our our church body, all right, and I could list story after story after story after story of why Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. We could talk about people being freed from addictions, substance abuse, um, sexual abuse when they were young, bad parents, bad teachers, horrible decisions, devastating relationships. Um, uh, internet pornography like, I mean, you, you name it I could, we can throw out everything um, I could talk about marriages that should have completely fallen apart that, that God has restored friendships that should not in any way like, still be intact that God has brought back together story after story after story miracle after miracle after miracle all these things, all these reasons why we should in the face of every situation look at it and say God is completely able to fix this God overcame death, the most irreversible thing that we know. So when your relationship with your parents is really strained and you just don't think it's ever going to get there, you know what? He can bring people back from the dead, all right? He can go into a fiery furnace and rescue people. He can, he can close the mouth of a lion to rescue Daniel. He can do it. But we don't we don't understand that so much with our own lives, and our own situation. You know, it's almost like we should just make this list of of all these things that God's done in this whole reason and keep it in our Bible. And so every time we start to panic or worry or doubt or come up with our own plan or just or, or we just kind of wonder in the back of our minds, yeah, but God, can God really do this? I mean, this seems so impossible. It's just so uh, whatever. But we just, God's like, go to that list. And why I put a list in your Bible? Because the entire Bible is full of thousands of reasons why we should trust Him. Shadrach and his two friends, do you know why they trusted him? Because their entire lineage was full of miracles and reasons and powerful displays of God's glory, why they should trust him. And so there's no doubt in my mind, they're standing out there and there's this giant idol that's up there, and they could just look back over on their own lives and be like, you know, we should be dead. We should be living in a hut out there with all of our people, like God is he, he rescued us. He's, he's provided jobs for us. He's provided favor for us. Our ancestors, like he rescued them from slavery, I and mean, they can go back to court, all this kind of stuff. Surely all those things built up, and they are like, why in the world would we doubt God's ability to take care of us in this moment? I don't know where you are in your life or what's going on or the thing that, that you love to watch movies because you can escape it, you know? You love to watch a football game because you're just not thinking about this thing that just makes your entire countenance just sink. I don't know what those things are for you. Those things that, that you had like an hour or two away from it, and all of a sudden like you think about it and you're like, oh. It just has that effect. I don't know what it is, but I can guarantee you this. God's able to fix it. God knew before it happened, and he's involved in every aspect of it now, and he knows the result. He's completely able to do it. So don't you sit back and complain and whine and wonder and doubt and come up with your own plan. We got to man up sometimes and be like, you know what? My guy can take care of this. Their perspective is a reflection of their well ordered hearts. One, because they knew he was able. The next thing they do, verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Here's the second thing about their perspective one, they knew he was able. The second thing kind of has, has two parts. One, of, one, one Part A, um, they knew that he might not do it. Now make sure that you hear what I'm saying and you're not hearing stuff I'm not saying, okay? Um, they knew that he might not rescue them from that situation. And really, they were, they were okay with it. Because you know what? They had seen God not rescue them before, and not rescue their ancestors before. And see, in, in, in your life, like you may really want God to, to do something. And with all of your heart, you just want him to take something away, to fix something, to make something better, or whatever. And it's very, very possible that God may leave that in your life. And what we have to do is we have to get to the point where we are all about that. Because see, they're fine with it right here. Maybe they had processed it before or whatever, but right here, they're like, look, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down, you know? But us recognizing the fact that, you know what, God may not do everything we want him to do in the time we want him to do it and the way we want him to do it. There are times when God says, no, I disagree with Garth Brooks. I don't think that there are unanswered prayers. I think God just tells us no, and we like to pretend like He didn't answer it, you know. Even if He doesn't. So first of all, they were they were had accepted the fact. You know what? God might not do this. Now, if you're praying for your marriage to be restored, you're praying for some sort of friendship to to come back together. Um, you're you're praying for uh, like a financial miracle. Um, you're praying for a sin issue to be taken care of or whatever. Um, I. I I don't think that, like, okay, God's not going to come and say, I refuse to restore your marriage. Like, God might say, not yet. And maybe he may say, not like you want me to, you know. Or he may say, hey, what about this? Why don't we take care of this first, and we'll move on to this. But you know what? There are some other things where God just is like, no, sorry. And there's a reason for that. And that's why one minute... Jesus is saying, like, God is able to bring all these angels down and take care of this. Yeah, but you know what he was doing right before that? He was praying, God, please don't let this happen. But he said, no, but but it's about your will and not my will. That's what Paul said when he, he was talking about that thorn in his flesh. He's like, I beg God to take it away. Please take it away, take it away. And God said, no, you don't need me to take it away. What you need is my grace, which I have given you, and it is sufficient. It is enough. You think you need this to be taken away, but what you really need, you already have. So will not you just embrace and love and just be saturated in what you have, which is me, and let everything just take care of itself. And for us, when we have these situations that are burdening us, one, we have to have that faith and that confidence that God is able to do it, but also have to trust in His sovereignty that He may not do that. Or He may do that in a way that's different than we think, or in timing that is not what we would want. And that's a hard thing to do in those things that are burdening us to be like, it's just okay, your time, your will, your whatever. It's hard to do that and really mean it. But again, it goes back to connecting with Him. When we're laying on the other side of the yard and we're trying to bear fruit, it's not going to happen. When we're connected to him, that's, that's where he tends to our hearts, and our hearts start to look just like his. And so, one, they were okay with him maybe not doing that. But the second thing, their trust in him and their loyalty to him and their devotion to him was not contingent on him rescuing them from that situation. They're like, even if he does not, we're still not gonna like, you know, we're not gonna sell him out. We're not gonna be disobedient, even if he doesn't do what we want him to do. You ever feel like your faith is contingent on stuff? You ever kind of had that attitude, whether you admit it or not, where you're like, all right, God, if you do this, I'll do this. You ever get mad at him? I think it's okay to get mad at God. I think He could take it, you know. Um, it's okay. It, that, that's fine. Um, of course, there's obviously a line. comes a point where that's an, an unhealthy thing. When we're ever at the point where our relationship with him is contingent on what he can do for us, man, that's when we need to be praying more than ever. That's when the order of our hearts is so messed up that there should just be red flags going all over the place. And so their perspective on their situation was, was it reflected their ordered heart because they knew he was able and they knew that he was sovereign. And with all that in mind, when they heard that music, they did not bow down like everybody else. And with that in mind, they got tossed into the oven. And Nebuchadnezzar cranked it up to seven times as hot, and the people who were throwing them in, they got burnt. If you look at the end of the story, look at verse 24. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? they replied, Certainly. He said, Look, I, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So they came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. All, right? all the guys who had been bowing to this giant idol, they, these guys, there was like the, a crowd of them gathered all around them. And they saw the fire not harm their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. All right? God just goes just the extra mile to get his point across, doesn't he? I mean, they could have come out like alive, you know, little sins on them, whatever. No, God's like, I don't even want them to smell like fire. I think God puts some exclamation points on the thing sometimes when he does stuff in ways that you never would have thought. I mean, who would have thought he would go to that extent, you know? And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Isn't that a good story? The thing is, for you and I... um, When we are connected to God and He is tending to our hearts and everything's starting to line up, the situations that you and I are dealing with and frustrated with and those painful things, whether it's what you're going through now, maybe you've been going through it for months, maybe there's something just around the corner in life that you are not anticipating, um, the outcome of all those things, just as miraculous as this story. Just as miraculous. When someone could say, you know what, I used to be completely addicted to this substance, and now I have no desire for it at all. You know, when the doctors say, you know what, um, Cooper Lusk is probably, like, there are going to be some problems, and yet he's living healthy and happy in Louisville, Kentucky right now. Um, I could go through all those examples of all these things um, when here are these situations, and God, able to do anything... And sovereign enough to do it in his way, in his time. Whether that's saying yes, no, maybe, what about this, whatever. When when that's what's going on, the outcome is always glorifying to him. Every single time. The worst story in the whole Bible is about Job, I think. I mean, just every terrible thing that could possibly happen, happened to him. And you know what? We're here many, many years later talking about it. And giving God glory for it. And so I don't know how this reaches into your life. I don't know where you are. Um, I believe that there are like, times like, like this, messages like this, that God just kind of floated out there. And, and, and he's the one that takes it and does the application and really like, shows you where that fits into your life. And so one thing we kind of do here at the Ring, is we just kind of just give you time before we start stacking chairs and all this kind of stuff, whatever, just to, to respond to what God's doing. Maybe it means you need to get somewhere by yourself and and pray. Um, maybe, Maybe you just need to sit and just soak it in, you know. Maybe as soon as we start singing, you need to stand up and start praising him. Here's the thing, whatever you're going through, he's able and he's sovereign. So let's embrace that relationship we have with him tonight. Let's pray.